everybody, and welcome back to We've Got Mail. This is the podcast where you control the conversation right here at the Critically Acclaimed Network. About to mix it up a little bit. Don LaFontaine there. Yeah, a little bit. In a uh, world where we answer emails. In a world gone mad. Um, my name is William Bibiani, not Don LaFontaine. Everybody <laughs> calls me Bibbs. I'm a critic and stuff. Whitney, who are you? <laughs> my name is Whitney Seibold. I am also a critic and stuff. Sort of like golf and stuff. We've got the sillies. We haven't seen each yeah. other for a couple of days. So we're, just, <laughs> we're just gabbing. Um, but uh, for the purposes of this show, you can write in and call me Rockmeister McCool. That's my name on this show. And only. And only on this show. Yeah. Like nobody else, Nobody calls me that in any other context. That, that should have been your Schmodown name. Rockmeister McCool. It would have befit your actual personality a little mm-hmm. bit more than this like mean, tough guy you've got going well, the, on. The, uh, the direction I constantly get from the, the higher-ups is uh, like I'm, I'm Vanity Smurf. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, that, yeah. That, that's the personality they want me to. Well, you're to. good at it, actually. Yeah. I just feel like feel like sometimes you're funnier than even that. But whatever. I think people listening to your podcast know you yeah. got You got some charm. I, I have several personae that I can always fall back. That's on. true. Anyway, uh, this right here. This is the podcast at the critically acclaimed network, uh, where you can email us. Our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. Uh, people email us with uh, questions, topics they'd like us to discuss, recommendations, stuff they'd like us to recommend, mm-hmm. um, lists they want us to do on the fly, whatever, really. We'll just talk about whatever you want. Uh, we are happy to yield the floor to you uh, because you listen to us talk. <laughs> the least we could do is <laughs> listen to you. Uh, so, again, letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. Feel free to write in. We can't read every letter that we get because we get a lot, and we're really grateful for that. But we try mm-hmm. not to waste too much time at the front of the podcast. We want to free up as much time for as many emails as we can get to. Oh, well, and we want to give we want to give we want to give every email as much time as we can to yeah. at least cover the topic. So, mm. Whitney, without further ado, wait. One more. Ado. Take it away. Oh, my God. I love that joke. I will do that joke until the day I die. <laughs> well, I, I, I'm, I was... I'm dying without further ado. Well, one more. That's like a Mel Brooks joke. It totally is. <laughs> That's why I'm proud of it. I actually like that one. I don't, think, I don't know where I got that. I don't know if I got that from mm. somewhere or what, but I just I say it because it sounds like a Mel Brooks joke. I, I like the one from Clue. Well, to make a long story short, too, too late. late. Yeah. yeah. Uh, here's a letter from Kaylin. Uh, good day, fine sirs. I'm writing with some advice. Oh no. My husband and I want to watch more movies this year that neither of us has seen. We find that they make great date nights at home because we actually have to pay attention instead of being on our phones. <laughs> I've been making a list of possible movies on my phone. I hope you're not looking at it while you're watching the movie. I put together a couple of Hitchcock films on the list because neither of us has seen ever a single one. My question to you is this. What do you think is the best Hitchcock film to see first? I know very little about his filmography, except basically the entire plot of Psycho and (laughs) and that there are birds in the birds. (laughs) So the sky is the limit, Kaylin. That's a great Uh, question. I I have an answer right away. Okay. Rear window. Interesting. I was going to say, and I'll explain why Mm. in a second, since you just jumped in, Mm. uh, Strangers on a Train. Uh, Now, Alfred Hitchcock, for those who, a lot of people know the name. A lot of people who are uh, newer to film fandom or maybe haven't done a lot of uh, look back at classic cinema, mm-hmm. uh, cinema from before they were born, or maybe I, I find Star Wars is a pretty good cutoff point. Like anything before Star Wars, yeah. a lot of people don't necessarily go out of their way to see for the most part, unless it's maybe Disney or Rocky or something. Um, 
But uh, regardless, someone's you got to start somewhere when you hit Alfred Hitchcock, whether you're starting in your 50s, 40s, 30s, 20s, teens. Mm-hmm. Um, Alfred Hitchcock is a British filmmaker who moved to America in about 1940, and uh, he was a really innovative but very populist filmmaker who did a lot of things that were both experimental but also very mainstream and exciting. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's in many respects a best of both worlds kind of director where he made a lot of really interesting creative decisions had a lot of really fascinating things to say while making just usually these very pulp exciting blockbuster chase features horror movies murder mysteries thrillers etc he was also a creep uh and Mm. uh, you can you can look that up and it's not hard to find and uh if he were around today i might be saying to myself "Eh, he's kind of a creep not sure i want to talk about him too much but he's quite dead uh so i don't mind saying that you know whatever his proclivities were uh he made a lot of really excellent films and and i mean a lot of really excellent films Mm. like if you go through his filmography you will find more films that are worth seeing like genuinely you should go out of your way than not yeah and he made a ton of movies from the 1920s to the 1970s. Like mm. his career spanned almost 50 years just as a director. Um, Alfred Hitchcock was one of the first filmmakers I was introduced to as a form of film history education. Uh, mm. I was uh, in the third grade. And I've told the story before, but uh, I had to be homeschooled for like a couple of months at the end of a school year, switch schools and stuff. And it didn't make sense to just drop me into a new environment with only a couple of months to go. So my mother, being a teacher, decided to homeschool me for a few months. And one of those uh, one of the projects that we did was we would watch old movies as mm. sort of a, and I would like write about them and we talk about them as art. And I very distinctly remember the first one I saw was Strangers on a Train. Strangers on a Train is, I think, a very good introduction to Alfred Hitchcock because it's not a movie that gets talked up quite so much anymore. Mm-hmm. So you probably, unlike Psycho, which you already say, like you you know all about just through cultural osmosis is what I call it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also, it's really punchy. It's got a great setup. It's really suspenseful. And it will hopefully get you jazzed to do more. The, the setup for Strangers on a Train is... Uh, uh, Farley Granger plays a professional uh, tennis player mm-hmm. uh, who uh, is in the middle of a messy divorce. He's, he hates his wife. His wife hates him. They want to get a divorce. Uh, and uh, he wants to marry someone else and mm-hmm. retire from tennis and become a politician and be very happy. Uh, he meets rather randomly, total stranger on a train, Robert Walker. Mm-hmm. Robert Walker is a tennis fan. So he recognizes Farley Granger right away. He's also... A weird creepy monster and he tells Farley Granger that I've had this long I've always had this great idea for a murder this is so cool and this is just academic mind you oh, yeah. wink yeah. yeah a lot of people in Alfred Hitchcock movies are sort of academically fascinated with the idea of murder which means they're gonna do it well, which, uh, which means Hitchcock was fascinated by the subject himself he was. and so. he was and he made movies about it so it made sense but his characters don't they just do it mm. um but his idea is the problem with committing a murder is you're probably killing someone you have a motive to kill or that you know personally and as a result the police are going to get you Mm. so the trick is two people have someone they want to murder they barely know each other they meet really randomly and they swap murders i kill the person you want Mm. killed 
you kill the person I want killed. You don't know no, the person. There's no motive. There's, there's nothing no, connecting nothing us. There's us, nothing yeah. connecting you with the, we with are the victim. Strangers on a train. Yeah, exactly. And uh, Farley Granger's like, oh, yeah, that's cool. Really weird. I have to go. And, and uh, Robert Walker is just like, cool. You like my plan, though, right? And Farley Granger's like, yeah, sure. It's great. And Robert Walker's like, then the game is on. <laughs> He kills Farley Granger's wife, and then he starts blackmailing him and says, yeah, well, now you got to kill my dad. What? I never agreed to that. <laughs> well, I, but I, I did mine. Yeah, you, you owe me now. Mm. And it's just this incredibly suspenseful, awesome movie. Really great performances. Robert Walker is so fucking creepy in it. Um, <laughs> it's great setup. It's really, really fun. And, because, and again, because it's not the most famous thing he's ever done anymore, um, it, you'll have less baggage going in. Mm. And that's why I think it's great. But he made a lot of great movies, obviously. Yeah, I, I chose uh, Rear Window just because I think it's a good example of uh, just sort of really flashy photography that seems subtle. Yeah. Like, he, he hides a lot in the frame, but, you know, you'll see it. It it, it doesn't seem so uh, arty. It's an incredibly approachable. It's just a good thriller. It's got some good performances and good acting and uh, uh, from... Uh, even Raymond Burr, who plays a character who doesn't speak. Uh, he has um, a couple of lines at the end. At the end, but yeah, like yeah you just yeah. sort of see him through the viewfinder. Well, pitch people on it, like tell people what they're in for if they haven't seen it or heard of it. Oh, well, uh, Rear Window, well-known setup. Uh, Jimmy Stewart plays a photographer who's injured his leg. He's uh, stuck in his apartment high-rise, and all he has to do is sort of look out his back window, which looks out over this big uh, courtyard, which faces a few other apartment buildings. And uh, one night, while just sort of idly uh, looking through his camera viewfinder from his wheelchair, he sees in the apartment across, high up in an, another building, uh, some suspicious things. And it looks like his neighbor might be up to something fishy and might have murdered his wife. And how does he alert people? How does he investigate that when he's trapped in his apartment? Yeah, he has he is, no evidence. And even mm. what he saw isn't isn't really like, mm. I was an eyewitness to a murder. It just looks bad. Yeah. So nobody believes him and he can't get out there and investigate. He's just trapped in his apartment and all he can do is continue being a voyeur. Mm. Uh, it's and really smart. It's, it's so really clever smart. And in, yeah, in, in just it, in terms so of cool. just its basic thriller elements, it's really great. Yeah. Uh, but also, yeah, because he is being a voyeur, it uh, brings something to uh, the fore that Hitchcock explored a lot. And I think a lot of the best movies kind of explore is the fact that films turn us into voyeurs. Yeah. We're spying on people and we yeah. cannot be seen. We're curious about mm. other people's lives. We are fascinated mm. by melodrama or violence. Mm. You know, even if we have no interest in it in our daily lives, but like we, then we go home and we watch law and order. Yeah. We're, you know? we're spying on cops or spying on we're personal fascinated lives. By and, it, yeah. Uh, and uh, we read tabloid magazines. Yeah, and there, there are a lot of really good thrillers that sort of play with that idea um, where we see things from a killer's point of view. Yeah. Uh, Peeping Tom, which came out in 1960. Yeah. Uh, uh, right is, around the same time as Psycho. They were like both really influential serial killer stories. Yeah. Peeping Tom is underappreciated, I feel. Like a lot of people don't watch it now. One of the great horror movies. It's period. phenomenal. I only just watched it for the first time like two years ago. Oh my God. I don't know how okay. I'd missed it for so long. <laughs> and I was just like, where has this movie been? Yeah. Yeah, my pa whole life. Pa this Paul is and Pressburger, the same people who did The Red Shoes and Black Narcissus. All these classy films. Yeah, put, put together really this, this like, yeah, cynical serial killer pot boiler about a Ugh. guy who murders his victims with a camera tripod while looking yeah. through the camera. So he films them. Yeah, it's, it would be uh, like if, like, Steven Spielberg made Halloween now. <laughs> like, it's sort of like, wow, I didn't know you had it in you, Steve. Yeah, Good job. Yeah. yeah. 
It's really cool. But, but yeah, uh, Rear Window isn't quite as bitter as all that, no. but it's, it does have that same voyeuristic quality. No, I, I love really Rear Window. I, th- I, th- I put Rear Window on my list of the 10 best mm. movies ever made, which is uh, actually why I maybe I wouldn't start with it because I feel like you're starting really high. You want to work and, up to that one. And like, and like maybe if you go to like some of his interesting but like not quite as amazing movies, they're not going to seem as cool. Like if North you, by if, Northwest after Rear Window. Well, I think North Carolina West is actually maybe up there, but yeah. like maybe something like, I don't know, To Catch a Thief, which is this very fluffy cat burglar movie, yeah. might not well, seem as cool after you've seen Rear Window, but, but it's really delightful. My point is don't start with Vertigo. No! <laughs> That's the trap. That's yeah. the trap. Everyone's Everyone says like, Vertigo is his best movie. Okay, I'll just dive right into that. You actually kind of have to know yeah. Hitchcock's style. And like, I think there, there's a reason why it's number one on the, the Sight and Sound poll currently like the yeah. last one which was held in uh 2002 so, yeah, the next, so one, the next one's coming up it's soon. not too late to enlist us sight and sound i yeah, know hey, you're listening sight and sound uh yeah they, they're big big fans of our podcast and <laughs> we know that they're gonna just write us that email any day oh, God, we, we, we'd like you we'd like you to participate in the 2022 poll i would kill to be part of the sight and sound poll that's like my that's big it. career goal now that's like that's, the last yeah, thing the, I wanted. The, After the next, that, I can the, die. The I can just be, I'll to, be fine. The last yeah. mountain to scale. Yeah. But yeah, Vertigo, it's like, it's, it's A, it's really kind of impenetrable. The plot is really weird, even by Hitchcock standards. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very, very much an examination of Hitchcock's own obsessions and proclivities, which mm-hmm. if you haven't seen a lot of Hitchcock movies, you're not going to pick up on anyway. And I'm just going to come right out and say it. There's some really beautiful stuff in Vertigo. I do not think it's anywhere close to his best film. <laughs> I wouldn't. I don't know I, if I, I, I wouldn't even put it in the top fifteen. I'm not even kidding. It's I, not. I love Vertigo. I love Vertigo okay. because it is kind of perverse, and it, it does, is. And it does have yeah. this weird, dreamy quality that I re- like, almost you know, borderline surreal quality that I really like. Sure, but it it is a film they show in film schools because of its craft, and it, it's the kind of film that you really get into once you've been studying film for a while. Yeah. I'm not trying to sound like I'm gatekeeping or anything, mm. but like you can watch Vertigo anytime, but it does, right. it is going to seem really impenetrable if you don't have a lot of foreknowledge of Hitchcock. It's like, it's, it, it, this is more of like, this isn't a great analogy, but mm-hmm. like, you know, like, can, can you imagine watching like Avengers infinity war as your first Marvel movie? Like it's weird, you right? You don't know any uh, any Marvel characters. Yeah, you don't at know all. anything about it. Maybe you've heard of them, but you don't know anything going on. Maybe you'd have a good time, but you wouldn't know what the hell's going on. Yeah, that's not Vertigo because it's not like the twentieth film in a series or anything. <sighs> but it's knock it off. Sorry, uh, but uh, it's got all of these themes that are really only interesting if you've seen Hitchcock deal with them before. Yeah. So I would say save that one for much much later. But um, yeah, um, mm. if I had a backup. Like, if any of those aren't available, Whitney, if you have a backup to Rear Window before we move on. Um, let's see. Um, you know what? I'm I'm very fond of Torn Curtain. <laughs> um, really? That's, yeah. that's an interesting choice. I like, like it, too, because actually. Because it's, it's considered, like, I guess, B-level Hitchcock, or not, yeah. not as widely celebrated as some of his other ones. Generally speaking. But I think it's, it's a, a good case of Hitchcock meshing well with uh, the charisma of a star, Rather than the director's voice taking over, because mm. you mean Paul Newman? It's Paul Newman in that. Yeah, one. like and Julie the, Andrews is in it, but it's Paul Newman's movie. Yeah, Paul, yeah. Paul Newman, had, like he's the one who's really kind of carrying all the charge, not to cast any dispersions whatsoever on the wonderful Julie Andrews. Uh, but yeah, Paul Newman just brings a lot of his own to that movie, whereas mm-hmm. I feel like a lot, like Jimmy Stewart was. Uh, 
sort of Hitchcock's play thing. He was able yeah. to sort of do the Hitchcock thing. Uh, like that's why they worked together so frequently. Uh, Paul Newman is Paul Newman. Mm-hmm. And you, so it's sort of like, um, you get the Hitchcock, but you also get a little bit more of traditional classic Hollywood outside of his, his interest. There's some amazing and set that's pieces a, a, in that movie. A good, uh, and the, the climax is to die for. I think I, the climax the, the, the is ch- great. The chalkboard sequence. The chalkboard sequence is great. The bus sequence is mm. top tier Hitchcock. And the Boom. bus sequence is the great. The bus sequence is amazing. Mm. I feel like it takes a little too long to wrap up at the end, but that's neither here mm, nor there. Yeah. I think that's an underrated film. Um, I would say like a good place to start with Hitchcock, if you don't go with either of our first picks, mm. I feel a lot of people forget how funny Alfred Hitchcock was and how even in his serious films, he's being very playful. Mm. Uh, so I would recommend maybe as an alternative uh, The Trouble with Harry, <laughs> uh, which is a really cool film uh, nice. about a uh, 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 small town and they find a dead body in the woods and everyone has for reasons that will be explained later in a very, well, what we now think of as maybe a Coen Brothers kind of way, has some reason to hide the body. The body gets Buried and dug up like three times in this movie. Like it's just <laughs> this really grim thing about this corpse that is just getting in everyone's way. It's delightful. I think it's Shirley MacLaine's first movie. Um, it's really, really funny, and I like it a lot. Nice. All right, let's move on. Uh, here's a letter from Tricky Dick Grayson. Oh, a uh, couple of references in there. <laughs> I'm. Uh, I, I. I only ever. To, to reiterate, I only ever read how you sign off the letter. I'm not going to read your letter out of the sub- your name out of the subject line. Mm. Uh, Dear Bibbs and Rockmeister McCrawl, <laughs> Glaive! Um, Fire bears can travel a thousand leagues in a day. <laughs> well, let's get some. How come there wasn't a fire bear writing sequence fire in Krull? Um, there was a fire bear writing sequence in Krull. A fire mare. I thought you said fire bear. No, I said a fire mare. I'd love to see fire mask and fire, fire bear would be cool. I'd love to see them yeah, riding fire breathing bears. Okay, that would be cool, right? <laughs> we're gonna remake Crawl, and that's the only thing we're gonna change is now those are bears. Fire breathing bears. <laughs> uh, as a young adult nearing my mid twenties, I have been struggling to make my own way in the world, like many my age. Mm. To offer a little background, I graduated from a four year university with a bachelor's in film studies about okay. two and a half years ago. I've been incredibly unsuccessful in finding almost any work. <sighs> yeah, I was I was there. <laughs> Brother. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, much less something even remotely related to my career interests, editing, post-production, home media, and film history. There are not many opportunities where I come from, the rural south, mm. or where I went to school, so I know I need to move. With the finances of a move and the distance I would need to go in order to get decent enough area to find to work in, as well as the global pandemic halting everything, a move has been out of the question at the moment, leaving me feeling stuck and admittedly a bit of a loser. I bring all of this up because I thought it would be fun and interesting to ask what you two gentlemen were both like during that time in your life post-college and how you began your careers. Thanks for reading Tricky Dick Grayson. Uh, you very accurately described my mid-twenties. Uh, yeah. I wasn't living in the rural south, I was, I was in L.A., but... Other than that, yeah, I uh, mm. I knew I wanted to go into film uh, very early on, like mm. probably by middle school. I had made that decision, and um, and I never looked back. I went to film school at UCLA. It's uh, where I happened to meet M. Lampas da Silva, mm. uh, my my wife and partner now, and uh, so that was a great decision for a variety of reasons. But um, yeah, after college, I lost structure, like yeah. high school and college. You know, you know what's expected of you at any given time, even if you don't like it. Like you, you have the set series of goals, and then it was like, well, now what the hell do I do? And mm. so I fell into a bit of a doldrums for a couple of years, in which I just sort of bounced from job to job, just trying to get the bills paid. 
uh, wrote some wrote some scripts and things that uh, didn't really go anywhere. And um, it wasn't until God, you know, almost like ten years now, probably like seven years after I graduated, that mm. I realized that what I really liked to do was celebrate movies and talk about them and mm. be critical of them and basically try to contribute to the conversation. And yeah. that was what people were most interested in me doing anyway. So I started writing, mm. uh, started writing a lot and eventually started doing podcasting. And now here we are. Yeah. Uh, but there's that sort of mid twenties malaise is something I'm very mm. familiar with. And yeah, they, they, it's, what, I, it, it's, I can only imagine it's 10 times harder right now in the pandemic. It's yeah. that's not what fun. The, I don't envy you when, when you're already in the midst of a quarter life crisis and you feel like your life has stopped yeah. and you're not nearly as far along as you should have been. And then of course you look, Thanks to social media, you think everybody's doing better than you are. When, we're not. Yeah. We're no, nobody all, is. We're all miserable. And I'm, a lot of the time when we're putting on a, a happy face on social mm, media, we're just mm, trying to save our own sanity. Just re remember, uh, the people you see on social media are the, the constructs they made for themselves. Yeah. Uh, how, you're, you know, it's, you're, we're, you're talking to someone's representative. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Somebody who's trying to make you look like... A version of yourself. And that could be a very open and honest version mm. of yourself. But that mm. doesn't mean every single second of every single day, that's who you yeah. are. So uh, for, so ignore all that. Don't yeah, pay don't, attention. Don't, don't compare don't fall yourself. Into the, yeah, nev, don't fall mm. into the trap of comparing yourself. Mm. Do not. That is not your responsibility mm. to be where someone else was yeah, when you were yeah. 25 or 27 think, or what. None of that. Things are hard enough without envy no. falling and uh, yeah. lousing you up. No. So, um, and uh, yeah, when... The pandemic halts everything. The grind just has to continue, and you're you feel extra stuck. Yeah. Uh, how do we get our careers started? Gosh, when are we going to start our careers? William? I don't know. Uh, I feel like we have not. <laughs> I, like we're, we're, not, we're neither of us ever landed like that one plum gig. You know, mm. like we we all we always had gigs here and there. But, yeah, we're, we're but not, we were we're gig, not terrible at this. You but. were an editor, but that was still a. As a gig, I was, was not officially yeah. hired. I never we're like not I didn't on, have on a like payroll or I didn't have benefits or vacation mm. days or. Like when I got let go, I didn't have like unemployment or anything. Yeah, so, so like it was, it's still a gig, you know. That's what uh, the, that's how this whole. Hmm. There are very very few like film critics who are actually on salary yeah. anymore. Like very few throughout then, the entire country. And I'm it's, I'm still it's, you know, it's a rough gig. Keeping my fingers crossed and knocking wood and hoping I get that someday if it still exists. Sure. Um, how do you get your career started? Well, as it turns out, you just got to pay your dues. Mm. Um, don't write for free for someone else. No. Uh, they're going to say, hey, can you write for free? We're going to give you a platform. You're going to get your voice out there. They are exploiting you. Don't take those jobs. No. Uh, That's, there's a difference between that and like being a guest on someone's podcast. Yeah. No one's going to pay you for that. If it's a friend of yours and they've started a podcast and you know them personally yeah. and you'd like to help, then you can write for them. Yeah, that can be good exposure, mm. but do not dedicate mm. a ton of time and do not give them... Like just your mm. thoughts and stuff like that. Those are you, those are valuable. Yeah, uh, and your expertise matters. And but worth something. Uh, but you are going to have to write for free <laughs> uh, for for a little while, probably. Um, if and, only for your own blog. But or whatever. yeah, do it for your Letter own blog. Box, do do it. Publish it online. Get your voice out there through your own personal means. Mm -hmm. uh, take the time you can. Uh, if you uh, if you're thanks to the internet, you know you're in the rural south, but people all over the world can read something you publish. So publish. Mm -hmm. Just start writing reviews, uh, hone your craft, find mm -hmm. your voice, keep it out there. Um, try to network, reach out yeah. to, to the people you know who are also doing what you're doing. And don't fall into the trap of networking, of trying to like puff yourself up. Just mm -hmm. 
be cool, be groovy, be nice. People mm. want to ask, be around. Ask politely if you have a favor to ask. Yeah, be, people want to be around and work with people mm. they want to be around and work mm. with. Like, that's what it boils down to. So, like, if you're the kind of person who just is, you know, positive and, you know, writes, hits their deadlines and doesn't have too many typos and stuff, you're kind of in. Yeah. Um. So, take this time. Also important, you're in your 20s. Again, I don't know if you're going into criticism or movie. You, you mentioned a bunch of different things. Yeah. Paying your dues is important in all of them. You try to skip over that step, you're just going to have to do double later. Yeah. Um. So, yeah. Right now is the time to just sit down, get mm. the work done, get good at it, build connections based on I did the work, they mm. liked the work, now they'll hire me again for something. Build that up as many times as possible. Mm-hmm. Eventually, it pays off. And yeah, but it is eventual. You have to wait you, a long time, and yeah, uh, and you're probably going to need at some yeah. point to get some other gig to get you through so it. Yeah, I work, worked work. at a Staples. Yeah, I worked I'm, at a Barnes and Noble. I'm still working in movie theaters yeah. to, to like pay bills. Yeah, um, yeah, you're gonna have to do it for a while. You're gonna have to pay your pay your bills uh, doing some other hustle on the side, or just to have a regular job, and uh, or you could just marry rich. Uh, Marry for love And if they happen to be rich All the better But that's not Marry for love of their money That you will get on He's Whitney's kidding I'm being Whitney's kidding My my usual sarcastic self But I will say this Having support Whether it's Whether it's a girlfriend Boyfriend Any sort of Romantic relationship Or And and you don't even need any of that Family Friends Hell A pet just <laughs> something to, to, to have with you there and to and, sort of keep you going and make you feel like you're not in it by yourself yeah. because it can be really rough. Yeah, yeah. so uh, work a job, publish as you can. Uh, if you're in the rural south, I don't know what gigs are like, what newspaper gigs are like yeah. uh, in smaller towns. Not right now, no. no, uh, no. Maybe there's one critic just find them and set their house on fire and you're, you're in. Don't stop listening to Whitney. It's bad advice. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm saying, but, but reach out to, reach, I, but Purdue, do reach out yeah, to go, local go to local publications. You know, if you can yeah. get published in a local publication, you, that's a toe in the door, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Um, something but, you could say to a slightly larger, but again, we're talking, on. we're talking about how to get started in film criticism. That's not necessarily what everyone wants to do. That's but, true. We're talking about the general advice I have for the, and we've been rambling the general advice I have mm-hmm. for when you're out of college, you're finding yourself, you're, College career doesn't necessarily immediately translate into money. Mm. Pay your dues. Acknowledge that you're going to start small. Accept that you might have to take another gig at some point just to make ends meet. Mm. Try to make sure it's a gig that doesn't mentally exhaust you so that when you're done with it, you can't pursue your other interests. Yeah, that's true. If you're yeah. working one of those jobs that needs like 60 hours a week, yeah, then you're, or it just takes or it's just incredibly yeah. mentally or physically taxing, like incredibly so, and you just collapse at the end of the day. You're not going to necessarily have the time to write that screenplay or mm. submit those resumes or whatever. So, you want to make sure that you do have energy afterwards to pursue what you really want to be doing. Um, and uh, yeah, try to cultivate positive relationships, positive relationships. Mm. Uh, try to be reliable and um, yeah eventually you'll figure it out I will say this the one piece of advice I would recommend uh, try to be flexible because sometimes the thing that you very specifically want to do you'll pursue it for five years ten years and then realize there's something you'd want to do even more 
Yeah. And maybe it's related. Maybe it's totally different. I knew some people in film school who were really wonderful and they were talented. And then like five years afterwards, I found that they went to nursing school because that was really what their passion was. Yeah. You, the idea that you have to have your shit figured out and know what you want to be is ridiculous at any time, really. A lot of people reinvent yeah. themselves into their 40s, 50s, and 60s. So, um, yeah. So stay flexible, but pursue your goals. Do the diligence. The 20s is the time to hunker down. Yeah. So uh, that's our advice. And take it with a grain of salt. A bag of up some salt if you would. Yeah, you must, please. But, There's uh... so many other people to listen to who are, frankly, more successful than us. <laughs> yeah. We, we know some incredibly successful people. Yeah. Like, we're, we, we've rubbed elbows what? with, like, actual successful critics. We should critics. just give them our microphone. Like, what yeah. are you doing? What are you, what are you, why are we doing this? All right, let's move on. Yeah, uh, here's a letter from uh, Musa. Hi, hello, Musa. Hello, Musa. Uh, hey, Bibbs and Rockmeister, I hope you've been keeping well. Thank you for the abundance of programming that you've provided over the last year. It has been a nice constant that has kept me sane over the tumultuous year. Oh, us too. Yeah, yeah, we, we've really tried to knuckle under, and for mm. partly for our own sake. Um, yeah. Random sidebar, uh, but one underrated joy I've discovered is seeing Bibbs tweet something out that's seemingly random, then discovering its origin story while listening to one of your various podcasts. <laughs> Most recently, I, it was listening to him Google... Uh, Google which company owns the Jingle All the Way IP to see who might be making a Turbo Man cartoon in the future, and of course it's Disney. <laughs> anyway, uh, last year, once COVID hit, I decided to play catch-up on older movies, and I didn't watch as many 2020 movies, so here is my top 10 discoveries of 2020. Oh, great. I love these. Please yeah. keep sending these in. This is cool. Uh, number 10, The Forest of Love. Uh, a crushingly bleak Sion Sono picture that is oh. impossible to turn away from because of how incredible and stylish the filmmaking is. Uh, I lo- I've not seen enough Sion Sono. He's very prolific. Yeah. Um, and I there's quite a few. I actually had never seen Love Exposure, which is like his four-hour mm. bizarre love epic, and I yeah, heard nothing but amazing things, but I never had the time to it's, sit it's with a, it. About a... The, the story is about a, a young man who discovers his talent is like ninja upskirt photography. Yeah. Like that is violating fellow students by taking pictures up their skirts. Yeah. Which, which weird is film. Th- this weird sort of like kind of fetish uh, in, in yeah. pornography. It, yeah. It's, um, it's a bad phenomenon. Yeah, yeah, but that like leads into this big gigantic love epic that he gets yeah. in, involved in. Sion Sono, if you're not familiar with the name, makes weird mm. fucking films. I, I do highly recommend. Why don't you play in hell? It's that's that, maybe that's, his that's, most successful yeah, movie that's really, I, that really I've good. seen anyway. It's really good. Right. But like, he's made some weird shit, and oftentimes he'll make weird shit, and you'll be like, "How did you make that work?" <laughs> no, seriously, how the fuck? <laughs> Did you make that work? Because I have that plot sounds terrible, mm. and yet it's amazing. So yeah. anyway, I haven't seen Love Exposure, but that was just one example of a film yeah. I haven't seen. Yeah, and and I've I also not seen uh, for the Forest of Love. Neither have I. I'll check uh, that one out. Number nine, Carrie. Uh, I regret that it took me so long to get around to this masterpiece, but it's as great as its reputation. Uh, number eight, Sleepless in Seattle. Uh, during a year that felt bleak and hopeless in many respects, this movie just made me happy. A lot of pe- I remember Sleepless in Seattle was like this huge rom-com phenomenon and Mm -hmm. i think it helped keep the romantic comedy like thriving in the 90s Mm -hmm. uh and uh yet it just it doesn't get talked about very much anymore Mm -hmm. i think it's because the movie that it's really inspired by and a fair to remember is also not talked about Mm -hmm. very much anymore and i feel like it's they've fallen into some kind of obscurity but i like both those movies yeah yeah uh, number where was I? Number seven is a Piero LeFou. I know that Bibbs has said he's not a big fan of Jean-Luc Godard, but I love the way his movies are stitched together, and this is probably his greatest effort—a beautifully serene epic that jumps in and out of genres as well. Um, 
all this stuff from like pre-Alphaville, I think is pretty good with, with Godard. <sighs> I haven't seen that one, so I cannot speak mm. to that specifically. But you've seen like Breathless. Yeah, and, seen, and, I've seen and, a fair. I've seen uh, some of his stuff, but my frankly, my, I, I I've seen enough of his stuff that I didn't like that I stopped fishing a lot after a while. Yeah, like I I haven't sat down and watched everything he's ever done, nor have I made a concerted effort. Okay. So, see uh, Vive Sevi. Okay. That that's the that's. My I'll favorite. get to that at some point. Uh, number six, Desert Hearts. It is a crime that this movie didn't launch Donna Deitch into stardom, a beautifully restrained love story that has a master's hand guiding the frame. Nice. Uh, number five, Lola from 1961. Oh. Uh, this is a Jacques Demy film. Uh, okay. Because this movie was made by Jacques Demy and carries a character over from Umbrella to Cherbourg. Oh, yeah. uh, I, for some reason, expected this to be a musical, and the film is so incredible that I wasn't even disappointed that it's not. Uh, hopelessly romantic in its scope of characters and wandering camera. That's like a whole little mini cinematic universe that people don't talk about the, enough. The Jacques Demy universe. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, number four, Model Shop, another uh, Jacques Demy's love letter to L.A. about the aimless stagnation that war can create. An unemployed man drives around L.A. and has conversations looking to borrow money to pay his car debt as he awaits an inevitable draft order from Vietnam. That sounds awesome. I haven't, I, seen, I haven't that seen one. That sounds Model cool, Shop, yeah. yeah. Uh, number three, The Watermelon Woman. We just yeah. watched this recently. Um, smart and insightful about race and culture and the, and the intersection of the two, but also just delightful and fun and funny. If there was any justice in this world, Cheryl Dunier would be as big a name as Kevin Smith. This. Yeah. 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 Kevin Smith I, broke only two years before that. It's not, and he didn't, he didn't suck up all the air in the room, but you know, mm. we, we should have a whole, a universe of Cheryl Dunier characters. I just want more movies set in 1990s video stores. <laughs> I think, uh, I think when you look at what Kevin Smith did and I like clerks a lot, but when you look at what Cheryl Dunier did and it's just like, okay, when have you made something interesting and influential and cool? And when have you made the fucking watermelon woman? It was amazing. <laughs> yeah. So, Yeah. Uh, Watermelon Woman's on Ovid right now. So get, yeah. get off it. I think it's on Criterion as well. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, number two, Brink of Life. I watched uh, 10 Bergman films in 2020, and wow. this was my favorite. Brink, Brink of Life. All right. One of his more simple and straightforward efforts, but it's also one of his more tender films about the relationship that three women form over a 24-hour p- period in a maternity ward. Uh, and number one, The Children's Hour, 1961. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's a, uh, William Wyler. Uh, this movie broke my heart. Uh, Catherine, or... Uh, Hepburn and McLean, not Catherine Hepburn, it's uh, Audrey. Audrey Hepburn. Yeah. Hepburn and McLean give powerful performances and Weiler's direction really amplifies the tragedy that befalls these women. Uh, if you've gotten this far, thank you for reading my letter and I hope you have a great 2021. Musa. Thank you so much. Yeah. I love these discoveries because, you know, a lot of people try to keep, uh, keep up with the new releases, big or small, but mm. um, it's what you seek out that isn't new yeah. that I think speaks a lot more to your general sort of tastes. Um, and that's neither positive nor negative. I think it's just interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, yeah, I'm really fascinated to see what people are looking at that isn't part of the zeitgeist. Everyone's like, you gotta see this. Like, okay, yeah, but I want to see all these and I'm going to make a concerted effort to find them. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that these discoveries lists that we've had so far are really varied is so cool. Mm-hmm. And it really makes me, it really reminds me, sometimes you, you look at Twitter and it seems like such an echo chamber of the same things and same topics and same concerns and you know mm. passions and it's important to remember that everyone has really varied tastes and i love that yeah. i love that so much so please keep sending those in i love those mm-hmm. yeah um you know what in the, if that's the case let me find see if i can find another do we have uh, another one i think we do have another list here that's cool Get da, 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 I want to cut this part out. The podcast. Nope, gonna keep it in, keep it in. 
Gonna keep right, it well, in the podcast. Here's a letter. Here's a letter. <laughs> okay. Uh, from RJ. Hi, RJ. I, I knew we were, we got a couple more of these. Hello, RJ. Uh, hello, sir or madam, uh, or something else. Uh, hello, Bibbs. Hello, Whitney. On last week's episode, one listener wrote in with top 10 discoveries they made in 2020 and it inspired me to do the same. I have 11 here. Okay. Uh, that I want to single out, but for overall, there were 30 movies I saw for the first time that I was incredibly impressed with. Shoutouts to My Neighbor Totoro, The Farewell, Pinocchio, and my first Almodovar film, Pain and Glory. Ooh. Uh, place to start. Discoveries in no particular Pain and Glory is great. No, it's great. Yeah, I, I, go I, for it. I love Pain and Glory. But he's so prolific, though. It's one of those ones where, yeah, like, where do you start? He's, like, it's he's made good so many great yeah. movies. Um, the General, 1926. Ah. One that I've literally just revisited after I watched a handful of Buster Keaton movies this month. It was a real treat. Fun and captivating escapade that makes for a spectacle that could rival any adventure movie today. Yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, it's the stunts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's all CG now. Who cares? He, oh, I know. It's he so blew much up more a impressive. fucking train. So much. Re- yeah. Uh, uh, Sunset Boulevard. Mm. I must admit, I'm not keen on the opening uh, or the narration from that character, but it was a dazzling film that's very involving with an all-timer of a performance from Gloria Swanson. Other Billy Wilder films I saw last year were The Seven Year Itch, Double Indemnity, and a rewatch of Sabrina. All greatly enjoyed. Yeah, very wonderfully varied filmmaker. Billy yeah. Wilder is one of the best. Uh, Raw, 2016. Yeah! I have a pretty strong stomach when it comes to horror, but this, it got to me. <laughs> Raw is equal parts horrifying and electrifying uh, with an amazing lead performance by Garance Marillier. Yeah, I really uh, hope that one doesn't get forgotten. I feel like it was a lot of hype when it came out a couple of years now. doesn't come up as often anymore. Do not let that one sink into obscurity, please. It's such a good horror Raw, movie. Raw is really good. Yeah, uh, Rope. Hey, uh, we're going to talk about that and, this week. Yeah, an early example of the one-shot style of editing and perhaps the best I've ever seen. Uh, the tension is unbearable and it's so masterfully constructed. Other Hitchcock films I watched last year were The Lady Vanishes, Dial M for Murder, North by Northwest, and A Rewatch of Psycho. I really like those first two and I'm not as crazy as most are about the others. Fair enough. But Rope is the best I've seen thus far. I think The Lady Vanishes is one of Hitchcock's better slight movies. It's mm. just really funny characters and the tension isn't like as in your face as in a lot of his movies. It just sort of like slowly, the walls just very gradually close in on funny people and yeah. then they get the way out of it. It's a really cool film. I think it's underrated. Yeah. Um, One Cut of the Dead, which is still insane. Everyone keeps talking about this. We yeah, gotta the... see this stupid, we gotta see this apparently amazing mm. movie. The movie isn't stupid. I feel mm. stupid for not seeing it. And I shouldn't because no one should feel guilty about stuff like mm. that. But sometimes I'm I'm flawed. Yeah, it's, uh, the, the previous listener that I, I inspired this letter also had this on their list and after you guys said you hadn't seen it, I also wanted to say a thing about it. The best gone in, it's best gone into with as little knowledge, and it's quite the ride. Okay. Uh, do the right thing. Yeah. Uh, I'm usually quite particular about how quickly I consider a film one of my favorites, but this launched itself into my top 100 straight away. At times relaxing and relaxed and chilled, at other times infuriating and stressful. It's an incredibly important film for my money and the best of the 1980s. Yeah. Also, maybe my favorite use of weather in film. Yeah, the heat. Oh, oh God. Yeah. It'll make you really, really make you be, sweat. That would be an interesting list. I've never seen... It's probably been done, but I don't think I've ever seen anyone do a really interesting, like, compendium. Like, list is is sort of reductive. I think Mm. what you're doing is basically saying, here's a theme, here's a bunch of movies written around this theme or from the same filmmaker, and let's all, like, sort of put Mm. them in context with each other. I I would be very interested to see, like, a really interesting scholarly look at the way that Mm. some of the most interesting films have used weather in different ways. Uh, Because I've thought about it, but I never really put it together. Oh, I've... I've when I was in high school, I, I saw a movie with a friend uh, and there came the scene where like everything was getting really, uh, really tumultuous in the plot and all of these like tensions were coming to, to head and the yeah. action, somebody was murdered and a body was hidden and all the rest. It was, um, 
Oh gosh, it was uh, the Gingerbread Man. Oh yeah, uh, and then with, a lot of uh, them taking place in a hurricane, like that's yeah, the and, climax and, occurred. And yeah, and yeah, the climax takes place in a hurricane. And as the rain started to pour, uh, my companion just sort of rolled their eyes and said, ah, "Weather metaphor." And <laughs> I never heard it just sort of dismissed so openly like that. So yeah. well, yeah. It's, and so it's now, funky. It's funky. now every single time it starts to rain at a sad moment, I only think of that moment: oh, weather metaphor. <laughs> Even yeah, the Truman yeah. Show. Pardon? Even the Truman Show. The Truman well, Show does it funny. The Truman Show did, like has a little twist in it, which yeah. is kind of cute. But yeah, yeah, it still happens to this day. It's like, oh, I'm sad. I'm on it. Oh, and now it's raining. Yeah. If you're like, not it's, being it's funny, Los, and it's Los Angeles, kind of and it rained all of a sudden because yeah. that happens. Yeah. But it can be done really, really well. Mm. I think we can all agree on that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, continuing. Mm. Uh, Key Largo, another discovery, mm. another film that became a favorite on first watch, and this is a really solid little thriller string. Bogart and Bacall of all the Bogart films I saw last year, the others being Sabrina to have and have not and the Barefoot Contessa. Mm. Uh, this was the one I had heard the least praise for, but ultimately loved the most. I, I saw that a long time ago and I, and I yeah, dug it's, it. It's, I, been a while it's since way I've seen better Key than um, I'd heard High Sierra. I think that was the Bogart, Bogart film I saw mm. that got talked up a lot. And I thought he was really good in it, but I didn't think the movie was very good. But if memory yeah. serves, Key Largo is pretty fucking cool. Yeah, it's. Uh, I really liked The African Queen the first time I saw it. That was, yeah, I, I, saw I that really one. loved Casablanca the first time I saw yeah. it, but um, the one that kept getting hi- talked up and the one I ended up hating was The Maltese Falcon. I'm so looking yeah. forward to getting it, because that's coming up real soon on Only the Best and our mm. Patreon, where we review every single Best Picture nominee ever. I'm looking forward to revisiting that with you, because mm. I really dig that movie, and I think mm. you owe that movie another chance. Uh, maybe so. Well, you're going you're gonna to watch but it again regardless. It's been so a long time since I've seen it. I saw it back in yeah. college. Um, you know, my tastes have probably changed a lot since then. Yeah, I like it more than But you. I remember really disliking the I, I was really stunned when I finally saw Dead End mm-hmm. uh, earlier this year, which is this like earlier... Uh, sort of weird film noir juvenile delinquent movie that also stars Humphrey Bogart as like this murderer who comes back to town to settle old scores and tie up loose ends and he's really creepy and it's so good started a lot of trends like subtle trends that we don't know about but don't talk about Dead End is exceptional please Mm -hmm. see Dead End if you haven't seen Dead End uh, the party is just beginning from 2018. Oh, I don't know. Uh, this is from one of the. This is uh, far from one of the strongest on this list, and I almost didn't include it. But Karen Gillan's directorial debut is a strong start. I didn't know about this movie. Um, mm. If a little rough around the edges, having a. a Having been through a similar situation to her character in the film, it really hit me personally. I've get forgiven some of its flaws in that regard. I uh, I, I remember I interviewed uh, Karen Gillan for. Mm. I think it, was, it might have been Oculus. I'm trying to remember when she directed that. Uh, but I remember uh, I interviewed her, and she was talking about directing her first feature, and she was really excited about it. And mm-hmm. I meant to go see it, and I kind of just didn't get a big release, and I think it slipped under my radar when it initially came out. So I've been meaning to get around to it. I'm glad to hear it's good. Mm-hmm. I'm glad to hear it's good. Karen Gillan, if you don't know uh, the name, uh, she was uh, Matt Smith's first companion on the, the 11th Doctor... Uh, Doctor Who. She was on Doctor Who. She was on Doctor Who when the Eleventh Doctor was on there. She was also, uh, um, what's what's uh, what's the name of her um, character in Guardians of the Galaxy? Oh, uh, Nebula. Nebula. She's Nebula yeah. in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, yeah. and she's really talented. I like her a lot. Hmm. No, she was really good. Uh, she was really good in that show, Selfie. Although I wasn't, yeah, that I, was, was, I wasn't, wasn't a huge fan of the show, but she know, was really lot, great lot of it. as a star yeah. vehicle for her. It was great. Yeah. Well, yeah. Her and John Cho in particular. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not the most gigantic fan of the movie Oculus, but there's some really great shocks in that movie, and she's I, really good. In that. I, I like Oculus. A lot. I, I, I think that, it's that, I, that's a good like haunted house screaming in a movie theater kind of movie. There's some cool shit in there. Yeah. I'm, I'm not. I'm, I think Flanagan did better films, but anyway. Oh, yeah. 
Uh, Dawn of the Dead, 1978. Uh, I, I definitely prefer Night of the Living Dead, but this sequel is incredibly gripping with an amazing use of location and atmosphere. I recently got the Second Sight box set, which contains the Can and Argento cuts, which I must check out at some point. Mm. Uh, if memory serves, the, I feel like the original American cut's actually like the tightest. Mm. I feel like the Can cut is just kind of long. Mm. Um, I gotta admit, it's a slow movie. It's pretty. Boring. You know, it's not my favorite. Uh, I, it's it's neat. It's, it's it's. There's a lot of neat stuff. It's not in nearly it. as fun as Day of the Dead. I think Day, Day of the, the Dead is a party. Day of the Dead is a party <laughs> and a panic attack in the same film. <laughs> I I think Day of the Dead might currently be my favorite. Although I think Night is still arguably yeah. the best. But anyway, um, the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Hey. I, I, I hate to say it, but there it was in. It was in the Rocky Horror Glee episode that finally kicked me up in the ass to watch this. But who cares? I watched it. and It's great. Some of my favorite songs from any musical and just overall a delightfully wicked time. A Nightmare on Elm Street 3, The Dream Warriors. Fun film. <laughs> Last year, uh, saw me rewatching the first movie, which I liked more than I remembered, and then Freddy's Revenge, which I liked even more, except for, and I appreciate that this is a cult following in the gay community, but this is just my perspective as a bisexual person. <laughs> what I felt was a lot of homophobia that made me uncomfortable. Dream Warriors was by far the best use of the concept so far, and the execution was pretty rad. I wonder how I'll feel about the rest of the sequels. Oh, they get Ooh, they get crazier. They get crazier. Not, not, not better, but crazier. Eh, new Nightmare. New Nightmare. New, new Nightmare is great. I like I like four a lot. Um, I don't. Five has no plot. Five is almost <laughs> incomprehensible. Yeah. I've seen five like four times. I could not tell you what happens if you put no. a gun to my head. Like I have no idea what happens in five. There's mm. some cool kills. That's how I feel about four. There's some cool kills. Yeah. Um, the, the Roach Nightmare is particularly harrowing. There's some good stuff. Uh, Freddy's Dead is just goofy. Like It's just a goofy movie. Like, it's it's pretty terrible, but it's really watchable. It's very watchable. You'll have a good time. But, like, it's mm. it's a very, very silly film. Uh, but then Wes Craven came back and said, let me do something more fun yeah. with this concept. And then and New Nightmare yeah. is almost as good as the original, if not mm. better. It's so damn good. Mm. And then Freddy vs. Jason is, I still think, the ultimate fan service film. Uh, no, for Give sure. Me everything I wanted to see from that movie my entire life. It does. Yeah. I don't. I don't know why people dump on that movie. It does everything right. I, it's pretty and, funny. Uh, right. And finally, Cleo from Five to Seven. Yay! Night, Nightmare Three and Cleo from Five to Seven would be a good double feature. Um, <laughs> my first ever Agnes Varda movie, and what a treat it was! A really nicely paced film that often feels as dreamy as it does natural, and a great leading performance for Corinne Marchand. Thanks. Thank you once again for the great content. And uh, hope all, hope is always well with you both. Kind regards. RJ. It makes me really, really happy to see how many people, and maybe it's just mm. my timeline, but how many people who are like younger mm. who are discovering Cleo from five to seven for the first time. Yeah. Well, and or just, just Agnes Varda in general. Agnes yeah. Varda in general, too. But I, for me, Cleo is my, my favorite. And I haven't mm. seen every one of her films, but Cleo is one of my favorite movies. And just to see how alive that movie is, yeah. it's so great. So I just. It really makes me really, really happy to see that that movie is finding a new audience now. And mm. people are still just realizing just how vibrant it is and how it feels like, in some respects, it could have been made yesterday. Like, it's so damn good. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah if you haven't seen Cleo from 5 to 7, go for it. Yeah. It's, it's out there. It's, uh, it's on the Criterion channel. Cleo plays, uh, uh, it's about a, a young woman. I think she's a, she's a performer. She's like a model. She's a singer. She's a singer. A model, model in, yeah, model, I think a model. She's a performer. She's, she's a young, famous person. And, uh, at the beginning of the movie, uh, she is waiting for a diagnosis that could decide if she's going to live or die. And then we stick with her for two hours until she finds out. Mm. And what an amazing two hours it is. And that's all there is to it, and yet it is everything and so much more. Yeah. Um, just really incredible cinema. God, I love that movie. Um, 
Anyway, that's a great, that's an amazing list. And once again, what a fascinating series of films. Like <laughs> yeah, Cleo, I'm, Cleo I'm, and Dream that, Warriors. That's, 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 a, cool. that's a good cross section. Thanks for sticking with variety. Yeah. My well, goodness. That's cool. I've been thinking uh, about like how many people just sort of like, how many people follow their passions mm-hmm. when they're watching movies? And it's like, oh, I, I want to see like every Giallo ever made, or I want to see every Kung Fu movie ever made. And But then there's also this element of that I think is really cool of just curiosity mm-hmm. where you just want to see everything yeah, or you want to find out so cinematically omnivorous or even if like I have no idea what the what the appeal of this is so I'm going to watch all of the Transformers movies and try to figure it out like that's kind of how mm-hmm. I'm wired yeah you know yeah. Well, like I, I just I, I kind of want to see everything yeah. that, that's, that's not better or worse than mm-hmm. anyone else's thing I just think it's it, they're different approaches and mm-hmm. I find those are the big two I run into a lot yeah, like I, I had seen um all of the howling sequels, like all 10 of those things before yeah. I, or and all of the witchcraft movies and all of the puppet master sequels before I ever saw the Godfather part two. So, yeah. uh, <laughs> I, I, I've caught up. You have I've your seen priorities. It now. Yes. <laughs> I still haven't seen the new, the new version of Godfather three. I need to get around to that. Uh, I haven't either. And you know what? I'm not interested. <laughs> I hear it's better, but it's, mm. that's kind of a, mm. well, that's kind of easy to I, do. I, isn't I, ha- it? I haven't seen it because I haven't had to, no. and I'm not interested. I'll get around to it eventually. All right. Moving on. Okay, uh, here's a letter from Brandon. Hi, Brandon. Brandon. uh, Dear Mr. Bibiani and Mr. McCool, I just wanted to write in and thank you both, uh, both you and one of your listeners, for recommending the film Onibaba during a letters episode that aired a week or two ago. Similarly, the idea behind the critically acclaimed streaming club, I've been trying to use the unexpected opportunity the pandemic has presented to go back and watch some older films that I haven't seen before. This is common theme we're running into here. Yeah. Um, I've never heard, I had never heard of Onibaba up until it was brought up on the podcast, but when you're describing the movie as a Japanese film from 1964, that's about two women killing a bunch of samurai in a grass field and selling their belongings was all it took to know it would be totally up my alley. <laughs> I watched it the other day and I really enjoyed it. The social commentary combined with some surprises and horror elements that come into play during the film's second half were just as good as you made it out to be. Thanks again for the recommendation and for continuously introducing me to new films outside of the standard blockbuster affair from Hollywood Studios, from Brandon. Oh, well, thank you very yeah. much. Um, I, here, here's the curious thing, and I always suspected this would have been the case, mm. that without the Hollywood noise machine mm. constantly dominating the conversation. Telling us what movie to talk about yeah, every single week. Advertising, yeah. advertising, advertising. Here's like new theories about the new Star Wars preview yeah. and eight have, characters look, that could James Bond and, this yeah. week, Fast and the Furious mm. next week. We have the Croods mm. and the new Muppets movie this week. This is all we have room mm. to talk about. And, and they're still doing that. It's like, oh, you wouldn't believe... Fans are going to be blown away by the WandaVision premiere. Yeah. You know, that, that sort of thing. It's still happening. It's a fun show. But when you take that away, people don't just sort of sit down on their couch and say, well, I guess there's nothing. Mm-hmm. They actually start getting curious yeah, exactly. and start seeing classic cinema and expanding yeah. their horizons. The noise machine kept you from art. It did. I, no, I think that's just true because the noise, again, that's the purpose of publicity is that's the purpose mm-hmm. of marketing is to make sure that everyone knows this is coming out. Yeah. And how do you do that? Well, you make sure they don't know about anything else right now. Yeah. That's a big part of it. Just push everything out of theaters, push everything out of conversation, make sure all anyone is talking about in your movie so that people will think, oh, well, shit, I guess I mm-hmm. have to see Ant-Man and the Wasp. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, when you pull that away, people still want to entertain themselves and they might turn off the TV and play chess. There's a million things you can do with your time. But if you're going to watch a movie and you have all of these streaming services, Hmm. you might be more likely to take a chance on something older. You never got around to maybe uh, cinema or TV from another country or culture 
you you're going to expand your horizon because you're not being shoveled the exact same mainstream pablum Mm. Much of which is good. I'm not saying it's all bad, but it's, but it's the same shit over and over, isn't it? Yeah, it's, um, uh, if if all you ever do is go to your local burger joint, you go to your local Burger yeah. King, yeah, and uh, that's all you've ever had, and then one day it ex- unexpectedly burns down, mm-hmm. and you have to go and, to like yeah. a really cool, I don't know. Yeah, there's like a little little like greasy spoon that's been there for 50 years, and they've been churning out like much better burgers f- for before Burger King was ever around. Yeah. Wait a minute. That's pretty great. Yeah. Now let's try the sushi joint. Now let's just go down Pico Boulevard and try every restaurant. And it does. And, and look at me. I'm Jonathan Gold. And it doesn't uh, mean you're never going to want a Burger King burger ever again. Mm-hmm. But it also means that your your whole horizons have been expanded. Yeah. Yeah. You under you, there's like greater context for that burger and where it came yeah. from and what's good and what's bad compared to that burger. Exactly. Uh, yeah. That's 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 been the time. really uh, I mean, like I, I suggested once. Yeah. I'm interested about the fallout yeah. for this whole experience we're sharing yeah. together. I actually once yeah. suggested in in a, an editorial at one point. No new movies for a year. Yeah, yeah, I remember like, talking. We're, about just that. don't do any new releases. Only release the classics. And I and my I had faith enough in audiences that if they weren't going to the latest Avengers film, if you just re-release some of these art films in the same way you would release a, a blockbuster. Like advertise it the same way, you know, put the previews out and all the billboards up the same way. Come see Onibaba opening in October, right? Uh, from Universal, whoever bought it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that audiences would still come to it and respond to it, yeah. Like they wouldn't think, "Oh, this is old. I'm afraid of it. It's in black and white. It's in another language." They wouldn't say any of that. They'd just say, "This is an exciting horror movie." Because that film is that good, and, and the, the audiences would be. There'll open always to be someone who doesn't like it, but there's always someone well, who doesn't like everything. Yeah, that's, I mean, my, that, that's my point. I feel I mean, like there, you've got this sort like, of. But, you present it sometimes in this rather utopian yeah. way, and I think it's yeah. more like no, it's just film is film, art mm-hmm. is art. People respond to what they respond to, and I think we can give a lot of people a lot more credit mm-hmm. than I think a lot of the studios do. Yeah. But uh, you know, but this utopian thing I suggested happened kind of yeah. <laughs> no new movies for you like we had them yeah but it wasn't the same volume and, and noise that we were used to someone pointed this out mm-hmm. and i really don't like talking about it because i feel guilty but like <laughs> we've talked about it multiple times mm. over the course of our various podcasts mm. uh that all it would take to destroy the entire theatrical model was one blockbuster summer that went bad yeah one blockbuster summer where nothing made money. <laughs> Boom. It's all We're, over. And we've both been saying that. I forgot who like brought it up. I don't remember who it was first. It might have it might have even been us. I don't know. But we've been saying it for a while. And um, sorry. Um, <laughs> it happened. I, it's, we, we I did not want to be proven right on that. I really didn't. And, and again, hopefully things will come back in some form and it'll be interesting and good. But... I don't. Sh- I don't know if we can get the genie back in that bottle all the way. I don't mm. think it, that there's going to be like no, some, there, some. There's there's already yeah. been a big change, and we're just going to have to see how this shakes out. Yeah, and I think we're. I think we're going to be at home for the most part, but but we have been already. So, it's, you know, mm. maybe not so much adjustment needs to happen. Anyway, yeah. moving on. Uh, here's a letter from Joshua. Hello, Joshua. Hey, Joshua. Uh, hey, Bibbs and Whitney. Oh, one day we're all going to die. Uh, okay. And I feel pretty anxious about that. I'm scared I won't see my family grow and witness future events, be it amazing or dreadful. Being a lover of film, I also dread not seeing all the new movies that will be made after I pass. I know it's a small thing compared to everything else, but do you share this anxiety? Uh, Also, 
uh, think of any already deceased person from history, either a film director or any notable person, and imagine what kind of movies they would have loved and didn't get to see. Do you think Stanley Kubrick would have loved the A24 films? God. Or would Duke Ellington would have enjoyed watching the movie Soul? Uh, thanks for taking my questions, and thanks for all the great art you guys produce. Uh, I met... Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I didn't meet. I, I interviewed an actor once who had worked with Ingmar Bergman, mm-hmm. and they told me... And this is all hearsay. Okay. They told me that they were they were just like, you know what Ingmar Bergman's favorite movie was? The Blues Brothers. <laughs> like, just because... Just because they, they make... Because movies were sad bastard yeah, movies. Just yeah. because A24 makes the kind of movies that Stanley Kubrick mm. liked, that doesn't necessarily mean that's what he liked to watch. Like, yeah. he loved Eraserhead. Which, granted, is kind of an A24 kind of thing, but yeah. it's, it's also way too weird. You know? It's so... Like, yeah. uh, I, I, I was always shocked. Like, I'm, I was a big fan of David Lynch going back to high school. And uh, when I first watched Eraserhead and really fell in love. And so when I finally was able to unearth some interviews with uh, David Lynch, this was yeah. pre-internet. Uh, I was really shocked to learn. It's like, oh yeah, I really love Bogey and Bacall movies. Like, yeah. What? You, like he likes old timey stuff. I, I wanted him to say, oh yeah, like there's this Maya Darren film, and there's only one existing print, and I only have a third of it. But you watch it, and it makes you go insane. Like, <laughs> like that's what I was looking for from David yeah. Lynch. Like something just even more outré than the stuff he makes. And no, it, he he likes pleasant old timey Hollywood movies. Sure. Um, so who can say hmm. what various filmmakers would have liked? Um, I can imagine some of the filmmakers would be rather annoyed at the filmmakers today who are kind of aping their shit. Uh, <laughs> right. I imagine they'd be like, hey, you just did what I did, only not as good. What are you doing here? I'm sure that would be the bad <laughs> dude they'd have. But anyway. St- Stanley Kubrick goes up to Christopher Nolan and says, hey, <laughs> come here. <laughs> um, Look. <laughs> Uh, but, but all, all that being said, it's fun to think about. Um, mm. but I actually, I, I've talked about this before. Uh, I am legitimately phobic of death. Mm. Uh, there's, I think it's anatophobia or thanatophobia. 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 Um, which is where Thanos comes from. Um, thanatophobia is the fear of death and I, I am afraid of death. The actual act of death it scares the living crap out of me. Mm. And... Yet, as I get older and I come closer and closer to the concept of mortality being tangible and people mm-hmm. I know have passed away. I, I was very lucky. A lot of people I knew passed away when I was young. But unfortunately, that meant that when I was older and they passed away, I didn't have any like sort of defenses built up. I hadn't like learned already how to grieve and it mm-hmm. hit me like that much harder. Yeah. Um. So, you know, there's downside to everything. Um. But um, I, I've often thought about, like, if I were dying and I found out I only had so much time mm-hmm. and then it's like, shit, I'm never going to find out what Marvel does with the X-Men, you know? And like, <laughs> and like I'm not yeah. saying that I'm like, I'll, I'll be like miserable, but I'd sort of be like, I was curious. I did want to know. Mm. I've written so many think pieces, whether I liked it or not. Like, I kind of just wanted to see how that was going to resolve. Mm. You know, that kind of thing. Like, it, it's, it's, it does bug me. I, finality sucks. Yeah. Um, I, I'm not a fan of mortality in general. I like people, and I wish mm. they could all stick around. Um, and, yeah, the idea that I'm only going to have so much time to experience so much in the world... And that it will go on without me, and there's even more cool stuff I'll never get to see. Stinks. Mm. And that's why we have fiction. You know, that's why we talk about like futures. 
So we can imagine living in them, imagine what they would be, Mm. you know? Um, It's heartening, I think, to think of it that way. You know, that we're constantly inventing these worlds to live Um, in while we can. There are a few... uh, I I used to have this anxiety Mm. that there's going to be great films that I'll never get to see. Sure. Uh, after I die, there's going to be uh, all these wonderful filmmakers and new voices that are going to come and go. And I wish I could see a longer timeline. Uh, wouldn't it be great to live, you know, a thousand years and see, you know, what film does, if anything. I, and, and yeah, it might, it might the go the way of the dodo. Might, might last um, like a hundred more years and then they'll figure something else out. Yeah. Um, Who knows? But I did realize at some point, and this took the edge off a lot, was that. I can't see all the films now. That's true. Why am I worried about what's coming? Yeah. You'll when, never see, no yeah. one will ever see all the movies. All, Some of them have been film, lost. All film like... production could cease today and I still would never see them all. There's sure. so much film out there that's already uh, to be discovered or rediscovered and talked about and, you know, that could legitimately change your character for the better because <laughs> you just found this wonderful piece of art that moved you so much. Yeah. And so... Because the volume is so great, I stopped worrying about what I'm going to miss coming up because I'm already missing it all. I've all and I'm. <laughs> I love how much strength you find from something that sounds so distressing. Uh, well, but you know, it, it's like okay, I, I I'm constantly watching movies and constantly watching movies. But if your goal is to see them all, you won't be successful. It's and like, when you know you're not going to be successful, I think a great weight is sort of lifted. Now, and now you can just sort of wander at your own pace. It's kind of like there's not a, there's not a deadline to it any longer. Well, or there is. There's no goal. Have, there's well, just the goal is to find something you would love. Yeah. Well, or, you can. Or, to, or to continue to explore in the best way you can and as the best you can is good enough. I don't know. I don't know if I mm. agree with the idea that there's no deadline mm. because I feel like the whole premise of this question is that there is one. You just don't know when it is. But uh, I, I don't know. I kind of look at it like uh, you're at Disneyland. Uh, Disneyland's cool. It's going to close at the end of the day. It's going to close at the end. Of the, at some point, it's going to close. And there is literally no way you can do every ride. The lines are too long. Mm. You know, you can't eat at every restaurant. You don't eat that much. You know, there's no way to see it all in one go. And so you make your choices and you do your best and you try to have the best time you possibly can while you while you're here. Mm. And that's basically that. I'll never see every single country before I die. Mm. I probably won't. That you could. I could, but I probably Mm. won't. Okay. I probably won't get to go to Antarctica. I probably won't get to... Well, that's not a country. But you know what I mean. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean. I won't get to see every single physical location on the planet. Yeah. It's not possible. Mm. I, can't, I can't go... I'm never going to go probably to the bottom of the Marianas Trench. Yeah, but if you start, you get it far away. Yeah. You go, you go far. No, no, no. <laughs> I'm not, just I'm start, not, start moving I, forward. I'm actually, be, I'm actually trying to look mm. at... I've been trying more and more since I said I'm phobic. Yeah. I'm trying to look more and more mm. at death as... Uh, not so much well, like this horrible well, thing, and, but just as a sort of mm. fact of life. And you just kind of make the most of everything you got. Mm. And you see every movie you can. You mm. take every trip you can. You meet every person you can. Mm. You tell everyone who you love that you love them whenever mm. you can. And mm. you do your best. That's all you well, can do. Do your best. It's, Another thing that I, I really took a lot of comfort from is um, when you realize that film, uh, as opposed to theater, mm. uh, it, it's it's technology based yeah. and it's about recording. It's about having a copy of it for posterity. For, for posterity, and yeah. uh, as such, if you take care of those things, if you're an archivist, mm. that thing will be uh, preserved indefinitely. Yeah, and as such, now there's this sort of idea that film is permanent. Film is a permanent art form. Mm. 
uh, it will stick around. And as long as that's true, it's always going to be there tantalizing you. <laughs> it's the the rock that you will always never be able to travel to. And uh, always never, I said. Well, um, it works. And uh, then you realize that there are experiences in this in this world, experiences that you're going to have that are ephemeral. Yeah. And indeed, there is art that is ephemeral. Some of uh, the greatest art gets its power in being ephemeral. Ephemeral uh, the idea means of, impermanent. Ephemeral impermanent, means, yeah. temporary. Yeah. Uh, there is a, a sculptor out there, a Scottish sculptor named Andy Goldsworthy. Oh, did they uh, do a documentary about him? They've actually made a couple on, yeah. on him. And he sculpts out of nature things like mud, clay, leaves, ice. Uh, he'll put a, a stack of rocks right by the ocean and he'll just sort of watch the ocean wash it away. Uh, he'll he'll build a sculpture out of ice and then wait for the sun to come out and watch it melt and it's just gone. There's no permanent record of this thing. Uh, one of his sculptures is he'll be out on a walk out on the Scottish countryside. It'll start to rain. He'll lay down on the ground, let it rain for a little bit and then get up and it'll be a dry shape in the shape of his body on the ground. Yeah. It's sort of like inverted shadow. And to him, that was art. These beautiful things that will only last a little while. Yeah. They're no less beautiful for being impermanent. True. That's humanity, isn't it? Yeah. Our lives are impermanent. We are ephemeral, ephemeral, and yet we are no less beautiful for the experience. We are, we are ephemeral, mm. Mm. and yet we persist. And the experiences that we have, even mm. though they may not be uniquely shared by every single other person, mm. the, there will be other people who share them with you. People will see the same movies you do. Yeah. There'll be other people who feel the rain on their face. There will be other people mm-hmm. who, whether they knew you or thousands of years from now, didn't know any of us existed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're going to have something similar to what we have now, even if every single thing else is different. Yeah. And there's something really beautiful about that. And it gives me a bit of joy. So mm-hmm. anyway, mm-hmm. deep topic, <laughs> bit of a deep topic. Uh, let's go on to one more. Let's say one, right. one more. We have time for one more email. Okay, uh, let's see if I can find a, another another fun one. Uh, yeah, <laughs> maybe maybe uh, maybe a dessert. Here's a, here's a, here's here's a letter from meal. Adam. Uh, Dear okay. Bibbs and Run RMC. <laughs> RMC Rockmeister McCool. I love it. Uh, That's fun. Yeah. Uh, I've been thoroughly enjoying this latest season of episode zero, and I wanted to talk a little bit about how one film in particular has an influence that extends well beyond the film of the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Uh, Episode zero, by the way, is our podcast devoted to the prehistory of the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Well, right it's now it the, is. This season. The yeah. previous season was the prehistory of Star Wars. We're doing a prehistory yeah. of Rocky Horror right oh. now. We're looking we'll at the biggest pop culture phenomena ever, and we're trying to yeah. look at, like, where did it come from? Because it didn't come from nowhere. And mm. you can learn a lot about film history by figuring out the influences of the right. stuff you like now. So, yeah, um, Rocky Horror is mm. a long and enduring cult icon. It's mm. been really interesting to explore a lot of, like, mm. older horror films, queer films. Yeah. That's yeah. been really cool. Uh, Listening to your episode on Scorpio Rising, a synapse in my brain suddenly fired as I was instantly reminded of one of the icons of heavy metal culture. In the 70s and 80s, Judas Priest were the forefront of new wave British heavy metal. And we all love love Judas Priest. Judas Priest kicked Um, ass, yeah. uh, For most of their career, uh, the band was fronted by Rob Halford, a gay man who kept his sexuality private until the 1990s. I remember when he came out. Uh, Despite being closeted, Halford would code his sexuality into his stage performances in a way that we would consider extremely out when viewed today. He would appear on stage with studded leather biker caps, uh, 
of the protagonists of Scorpio Rising mm. and would even at times arrive on stage on a motorcycle, a la Scorpio Rising. Before your episode, I was not aware that these elements had been codified by Kenneth Anger's film and had assumed that Hadford had drawn on aspects of gay culture at large. Whether Halford saw the film or was simply influenced by its impact on gay iconography, it undoubtedly had an influence on him and on the wider metal community as a result. Mm. Aspects of Halford's iconic look are still emulated by heavy metal fans today, and it's fascinating to think that a subculture which is often associated with unbridled masculinity, and which is sometimes blind to its own homoeroticism, had its roots in a Kenneth Anger film by way of a young singer from Birmingham. This, in turn, has fed back into the imagery we see in films trying to evoke heavy metal, metal culture and a fantastic style or, or influences. Anyway, this is a very long way of saying that episode zero, and particularly the way it encourages us to consider the interconnectedness of art, has helped me to find new ways to examine my cultural interests. I'm extremely grateful for that. I hope that my own cultural relationship to the iconography of these films can enrich the understanding of others. Best wishes, Adam. Thank you. That's Boy, is that nice. Yeah, that's, we that's don't get a lot of feedback on episode zero, so mm. sometimes I wonder if we're... Just dropping things into a void. So the well, idea that we've, we've helped of, is nice. That, that one, I think, is doing it for us. Well, um, yeah, mm-hmm. but, like, you know, it's nice to know that people are enjoying mm-hmm. it and getting something out of it. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if we'd continue it forever if, yeah, we, uh, if that wasn't the case. Yeah, Kenneth Anger's uh, Scorpio Rising was incredibly, incredibly influential mm-hmm. on gay iconography. Yeah. And uh, what I find really... Cu- I mean, and heavy metal had always been a little bit queer, especially when you uh, consider sort of the glam movement that was mm-hmm. mixed up in, in New York Dolls and David Bowie. And, yeah, the uh, '80s where there was a lot of different, uh, there are a lot of different varieties. There was hair metal. There's mm-hmm. a lot of varieties, and a lot of it involved uh, appropriation of uh, different aesthetics that challenged mm-hmm. what was considered masculine. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and yeah, um, and, and, yeah, and, and, cool. yeah g- gender queer queering was uh, really fashionable for yeah. a time. Like Twisted Sister, perfect example mm-hmm. right there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, Boy George, for goodness sake. Yeah, well, uh, that, was, metal, that, was, yeah. that was New Wave. But, uh, but the, yeah, it was the music scene at yeah. the time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and so what I, what I find really curious is that uh, metal, metal in particular, as a subgenre of music, like, gathered all of this, like, ultra-heteronormativity around it at some point. Mm-hmm. Like, you look at Kiss, it's like, yeah, we love girls! It's like, y- y- do you? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm not wholly convinced. <laughs> like, there's always been a queer element to a lot of yeah, metal, and yeah. and you know, it's, well, a lot of metal was about challenging yeah. the norms, wasn't mm-hmm. it? It was about being counterculture, and, yeah, and counter, the the culture that it was counter to was very heteronormative. Yeah, so, yeah. challenging those norms was part of it, and some people examined that a little bit more closely, and some people embodied it more yeah. closely. Yeah, the best metal, of course, doesn't talk about sex or sexuality at all. It's all about death. <laughs> Metallica <laughs> never sing about sex. All of their songs are about death and war and suicide and poison. I don't and, think yeah. they ever do a love song once. Uh, I remember uh, James Hetfield was being interviewed once, the, yeah. the, the front man for Metallica, and he, uh, he said that they were playing uh, Unforgiven. Mm. One of their bigger slow songs uh, yeah, from a, the Black Album from the early '90s. Great album, great yeah. song, rather Bla- depressing. Black Album, one of the best records of all time. Because I'm, that, I'm yeah. an old metalhead when I was in junior high and high school, but yeah. uh, and I'm not, and I still agree with that. Yeah, yeah. and uh, there's a song on it called "Unforgiven," which has some gentleness to it. There's also "Nothing Else Matters," that's another mm. kind of gentle song, and they play both of those during a concert. And there were couples slow dancing. <laughs> To Unforgiven and to Nothing Else Matters. And James Hetfield is looking out and he's talking to the interviewers like, okay, so I'm singing these songs and like see these couples slow dancing and I want to stop the song and say, you're at a fucking Metallica show. <laughs> Behave yourself. Maybe that's why he made Unforgiven 2. And 3. 
Do they do a three? There's an Unforgiven three on, on that, Death Magnetic. There's There aren't a lot of songs that have a sequel. Oh. <laughs> and Unforgiven is a fucking trilogy. <laughs> I've never, I haven't heard three. Isn't it? It, Unforgiven two is not great. Is Unforgiven three? No, Un- Unforgiven two is in that like dark, like between the Black Album and Death Magnetic. They There's did not uh, a lot of they good. Did Load, Reload, S and M, and uh, and when they do like Clover, and Saint, Saint Anger, which is just terrible. They did that live. They did that live thing with the orchestra. What that, that was S and M. That was yeah. like symphonic and it's, it's it's a it's live fun. album, but it's pretty good. Yeah, uh, yeah. but. But yeah, load, reload, and and Saint Anger are, are the pits. And in fact, no, they, they, Metallica was wanted to break up, and like the producer said, no, you got to go through therapy to stay together. And they made a oh movie my, on it, about you, it called well, Some Kind of Monster. Some and Kind the, of Monster is like really. <laughs> You will not look at Metallica like, the same way ever again. It's like, no, these, these guys need to break up. No, no, you guys need to stay together. No, just a bunch just of let neurotic them break forty up. and fifty year olds who just don't want to do it anymore, but, and they're forced to. It's but then, so but then weird. Rick Rubin, like you know, sort of yeah. the the move record producer saint, came down and blessed their re- latest record, Death Magnetic. He produced Death Magnetic. Okay. It's like, oh, they're good. They're good again. <laughs> Thank goodness. I'm relieved. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he, we got uh, on a tangent. No, it's fine. I can talk about Metallica all day. <laughs> I forget what we were talking about. <laughs> what were we talking about? We just got off of Metallica for so long. I, I don't even remember anymore. <laughs> what were we doing? What was it? We're talking about Scorpio Rising. No, we're talking about Scorpio Rising. We're talking about queer uh, well, influence how, how, on metal culture. On metal yeah. culture and okay. how uh, how Metallica, like they're they're a bunch of hetero dudes, but. Uh, yeah. The uh, they didn't ever sing about death or their sexuality. They all, no. or they didn't. Excuse me. They didn't sing about sex and their sexuality. They only sang about death. Yeah, and that's like where a lot of metal culture ended up going. And you just mm. go into like sort of the the deep dark death pits and start listening to death metal. Yeah, you get some pretty twisted shit in there. Well, you basically get the movie Mandy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If, if you want to move into a death metal records, watch the movie Mandy. Yeah, um, Mandy's awesome. <laughs> I have a Mandy t-shirt. I need to rewatch Mandy because like everyone I know whose opinion I like, mm-hmm. it, again, I disagree with Whitney sometimes, but we're mostly simpatico. <laughs> like everyone I know, like like uh, uh, everyone I know who like loves Mandy is mm-hmm. like cooler than me. <laughs> so I've been meaning to rewatch Mandy and maybe just like, maybe it was just, in, 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 it wasn't in the mood that day or something. Right. I like it fine. I just didn't love it. I so. love Mandy. Mandy's right. so awesome all right anyway that is it for critically acclaimed this week thank you everybody who wrote in well, it's, you, we've got mail this week thank you everybody for <laughs> we've got mail it is 12 39 in the morning and mm. i am tired uh thank you everybody who wrote in really appreciate it uh again if you want to write in our email address is letters at critically acclaimed.net uh we're sorry if we don't get to your email we do get quite a few uh but we try as hard as we can and uh, again, we just we love hearing your input. And boy, are you just all wonderful, interesting people who are watching cool movies all the time. Uh, if if this were like a high school cafeteria, I would be sitting at your table. You, you <laughs> seem all really cool. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for uh, loving movies. Thank you so much for uh, everything, really. And a very special thank you to our patrons, without whom this show and all of our other shows would not be able to exist. Uh, if you want to join up, it's patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. We have a ton of exclusive programs, some of which we discussed this week. Uh, only the best. We review every single film ever nominated for Best Picture. Holy Batman. We're going through every single episode of the 1960s Batman. All our yesterdays. We're doing every single episode of Star Trek ever. And we're just about to wrap up the original series. 
That's right. Which means we've got like 70 episodes in the can already. (laughs) So that's like a huge backlog. If you sign up now, you've got like... We have like th- somewhere around, three like, episodes from the end. We're about to do yeah. um, the Savage Curtain, which is the Abraham Lincoln episode. Do, do you realize that we've probably spent about like at least? I mean, not every episode's like an hour. Some of them mm. are like forty-five minutes, thirty minutes. You guys have probably spent at least sixty hours just talking talking about Star, about Star Trek and recording it. That that that's, that that seem like a lot to it's you. The modern milieu, isn't it? I guess don't take a drink. Um, anyway, we got a lot of stuff over there, and we're very grateful to everyone who's already signed up. If you can't sign up, we'd love if you leave us a review. That would really help us out a lot. Wherever you find us, Apple Podcast, Stitcher, what my my drink. <laughs> um, wherever you find us, that would really help us out a lot. And of course, you can follow us on Twitter at Critic Acclaim. I'm at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. Uh, we're both pretty active on social media, so feel free to to reach out, say hi. Um, and uh, we got a Facebook page and everything, and it's it's, it's a whole deal. Hmm. Uh, and of course, uh, M. Lampus da Silva and I, we have a new soap store over on Etsy. If you go to Etsy and look for Salt Cat Soap, uh, we have uh, homemade soaps. All of them currently are designed by M. Lampus da Silva, but I might have a few throughout the year. Hmm. Um, and um, yeah, uh, people are enjoying them. We got some good reviews so far. Um, thank you to everyone who's already bought one. And uh, yeah, there'll be more designs actually really soon. Uh, Mm -hmm. First Saturday of every month, we're going to debut some new designs. Again, 99% of them from Amalapis to Silva, but she's a genius, so you're going to love those soaps. Uh, So again, thank you everybody for writing in. Sincerely yours, Bibbs and Whitney. (laughs) 